Hey everyone, Shannon here. Just a couple of little housekeeping things before we start. Uh, We had some issues with audio. You'll hear a lot of my children talking in the background on this episode. So we apologize for that. As you all know, we do our best to give you a quality podcast, but we are in fact amateurs trying to do this all by ourselves. Secondly, I'd like to remind everyone that there is a content warning on this episode We talk about racial trauma, we talk about domestic abuse, we talk about other issues that could be triggering to some people. So we would recommend that if these are issues that you have dealt with and need to take a step back, that you listen to a different episode. Thanks so much for listening in and take care of yourselves. God bless. Catholic Theological Union, a graduate school of theology and ministry in Chicago, provides full tuition scholarships and dedicated formation to students. Scholarships include the Oscar Romero program, which prepares lay, Hispanic, slash Latine women and men for professional ministry with a creative formation program inspired by the life and ministry of St. Oscar Romero. CTU also offers the Augustus Tolton Pastoral Ministry Program, providing Black Catholics academic, personal, spiritual, and professional education and training in preparation for professional ministry. Learn more at ctu.edu slash programs. Welcome back to Flat Skirts and Basic Black, the podcast that looks at faith, culture, and pop culture, all through a Black Catholic lens. I'm Marcia, your co-host with lots of melon and magic, and I'm joined by my co-host Shannon, who has slightly less melanin, but still magic. And that's okay, Shannon. You'll be okay. <laughs> I'm fine. I put on extra sunscreen. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> by our good friend, Jules Miles, who retains her title as the most featured guest. I can't. <laughs> Again, if you had asked me five years ago that I would be a star guest on a Black Catholic podcast, I would be super excited. And I would super excited. <laughs> Today, we're discussing... The 2020 book, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which was recommended by Jules on her last visit. I think we're sensing a theme here where you recommend something and then we talk about it. You recommend Mm -hmm. something and we talk about it. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Everybody's got to figure it out. I just, I mean, I just read way too much. It's probably an unhealthy and you read too much. I don't know. So before we talk about how much we're reading and what we're reading, we have some very important catching up to do. Jules, how was your weather today? How have you been since the last time we saw you? It's so great. I mean, obviously, the the greatest, most wonderful, sunny rainbows, just all of it is our, our sweet daughter. It took us six tries and we got a little girl. We call her, um, we call her Oopsie Daisy behind her back. <laughs> um, 
I like to call them <laughs> bonus babies. I picked that up from some <laughs> bonus. Like it's we bonus. legitimately considered co- like naming her Daisy because she <laughs> wasn't <laughs> a <new> Daisy. <laughs> so she's just delightful. She's, I mean, she's sitting quietly in the background. My boys would have never, ever <laughs> done this. Like this is, this is like totally. So it, it's just. Uh, wonderful. I will say also, though, with weather, it's just busy. Kids are busy. Kids are in sports. Kids are in clubs. Kids are. It's so. It's. I, what, what's a what's a good like weather analogy for busy? Like cloudy, sunny, cloudy, sunny, cloudy. Sunny. It's just like, mm-hmm. kind of. Just, mm-hmm. like, you never know what kind of weather you're gonna get. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's just great. But she obviously is our biggest sunny mm-hmm. moment. Shannon, how's the weather in your neck of the woods? So I am calling it hot and windy. That sounds really weird. Like, it's, it's like, like there's just. <laughs> like it is very busy in my life right now. Um I was laughing the other day. So in my work, I work with pastors directly. And so like for most of December, like I didn't really talk to most of them. They didn't call me. Like I would send some emails, but I worked in a parish long enough to know like December 15th onward, they're not going to talk to me and that's fine. And I'm not going to bother them. And like the first week of January was a little low key. And I was like, this is nice. I'm getting some work done. And then on January 9th, I had more pastors call me that Monday than all of the month of December. (laughs) And I was like, oh, we're back in business. You're all back from your vacations. And it's pretty much been nonstop since then. Uh, And my kids are like back and busy. We have two January birthdays in our family and and my my kids. And I have three um nieces oh yeah nieces. there's totally did I miss Megan's birthday <laughs> and uh, yes um <laughs> so we have three, three nephews also who were born in January and uh, you have a February birthday so like it's just like all the things all the things and um it feels like uh, it's hot outside that like dry wind is blowing and um I gotta like make sure I hold everything down and hopefully the dust doesn't stir up and get in my eyes and make me cry or something. Oh, okay. So my weather, I don't even know how to describe my weather. I guess I would probably say like, I'm going to say tornado warning. Oh no. Which one is worse? Tornado watch. Tornado warning is better than tornado watch. Yes. The watch means they've seen one. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. Feels <laughs> so, what you know, because they don't have tornadoes. <laughs> yeah. Like, we do have sirens though, if it's like a windy day. <laughs> What about if it's a hot and windy day? <laughs> so, um, tornado warning. That is my weather. Tornado warning. Um, a lot better than tornado watch. The tornado, we have not spotted a tornado. It's just that there's a lot going on and it's probably about to go down and get scattered. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Um, I started my second semester of grad school this week and it is a lot. <laughs> It is a lot more than last semester was. And last semester, I was like, oh, you know, it's a lot. It's manageable. And before midterms, I was like, this is great. I got a handle on this. Like I had, I totally had a handle on all of it. 
But at some point, when midterms hit, then it got hard and started to knock me out with the one-two punch. So it was like, it, it was like, basically, it was like, this is so easy. Aren't you excited? And then it was like, dot, dot, midterms. It was oh. like, big well, dot, dot. So, like, this semester, I'm just kind of like, like, it's starting off hard. And so it's a tornado warning. And I just need to stay on top of it. And I kind of realized that there's just going to be a lot of saying no yeah. to things. Yeah. Um, like recognizing, because I already have, I already started this semester with a full plate. Anyway, so just, uh, there's a lot. So uh, tornado warning. <laughs> That's kind of where I am. Hey listeners, Shannon here. If you've listened to our podcast for any length of time, you know that I love to put on my teacher hat and talk about theology, ministry, church teaching, and all that jazz. Well, the main reason I'm able to do all of that, as well as Mariah Carey can hit a high note, is because of my education at Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. Catholic Theological Union is a graduate school of theology and ministry in Chicago, our hometown, and the greatest city in the world. Sorry, Lin-Manuel Miranda. CTU provides full tuition scholarships and dedicated formation to students. And believe me when I tell you, the formation I received at CTU has changed my life. Not only did I grow in my faith, but I got to engage with people who were just as passionate as I was about living our faith in the world and bringing that faith to our lives and ministry. Catholic Theological Union offers both degree programs and continuing education that emphasize intercultural encounter, academic rigor, individual spiritual development, and interreligious dialogue. Most importantly, it helped me fall more in love with Jesus as a disciple who was being formed for ministry. To find out more about opportunities for your growth at CTU, go to ctu.edu slash programs. That's ctu.edu slash programs. Now we're going to get a little bit more serious because Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, we're going to be talking about The Vanishing Half. Jules, you recommended this book to us when we talked, gosh, towards the end of 2021 right Mm -hmm. yes but this one I would just say this I love to read I read a lot I try to read around 40 to 50 books a year I mean I'm like just I'm just I just read Mm -hmm. and I so I will turn to a lot of like celebrity and like people in culture they have a lot of book clubs book lists things they're reading. I'm always looking for recommendations. And I've, I've found some awesome ones over the years. I mean, like Reese Witherspoon has a great, I, I've read, I think like 10 of those books and they've been great or most of them. And, and yeah. I read, you know, I look at the New York Times. I look at all of it. Anyway, who has some of the best book lists is President Obama. His book lists tend to be like, this is what I read this right? year. Here's like my top 10. Yes. And there's just like a really great mixture. There's like nonfiction, a like creative nonfiction. There's historical fiction. There's, there's just a whole bunch. Although I will say there was one book on his past, this past book list of his uh, that I hated. I, I read it and I, I just 
Oh, I hated it. We can get into that at a time. But it was, but he, he is great, typically great recommendations. And I'm a big believer that Christians, you don't have to enter into whatever you feel uncomfortable with, but I do think that Christians should be at least knowledgeable about what the culture is reading and listening to and seeing Mm -hmm. and when it comes to literature, everyone knows I'm the fiction gal. I think everyone should be reading fiction. I think fiction can come like a consistent reading of fiction can really change your, like can really help you develop a strong moral character. I believe that, but fiction also gives us a glimpse into what the morality of the culture is too. And you're not going to agree with everything you read. I don't agree with everything in The Vanishing Half or or there are points where I really struggled through it. But overall, I have loved turning to his books in particular because they tend to kind of have this, first off, the writing tends to be awesome. The writing tends to be kind of, you're, you're not just dealing with like, you know, chick litty, like, you know, or even like James Patterson, or you're not like, you're dealing with exceptional writing and incredible storytelling. And that really is how, that's how I found The Vanishing Half is like from President Obama. And then all I wanted to do was talk about it. It was like, like, like laying down on my pillow at night. And I'd be like, Ryan, can I tell you one more thing about The Vanishing Half? (laughs) I love it. So yeah. So yeah, so that's how I found The Vanishing Half. And then, and it was like shortly after I read it, I told you ladies about it. I was like, you got to read, you got to read The Vanishing Half. And I was telling these ladies, I mean, two and a half years later, this book is still incredibly popular. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you can't get, you know, it's like 10 weeks out on my little library queue. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think that stands to Britt Bennett is, an extraordinary author. I was very mm. impressed with her. Kind of, that's how I discovered The Vanishing Half. So The Vanishing Half is a book about two twin sisters named Desiree and Stella, who are light-skinned African-American women growing up in rural Louisiana. They run away from home when they're 16 years old and go to New Orleans, where their lives diverge after Stella decides to marry a white man and passes white. Uh, and the story follows their journey um, from the 1950s in rural Louisiana. I was about to say rural Indiana because I lived in rural Indiana. <laughs> it's a different story. Um, uh, and, uh, and then also follows their marriages to um, different men. Uh, Stella marries a white, uh, a white man and uh Desiree marries a dark-skinned black man, and then it follows their daughters and their own journey of identity in through uh, the 1990s, 2000s, about is when we end the story. Um, We do want to tell you, so we're going to talk about this book. Um, It's very, very good. There will be spoilers. We are, like, not, we're not going to try and give away, like, I don't, I don't know how we can not do spoilers in this conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that even if you know what's going to happen, it's still worth the read. I think I also kind of knew what was going to happen because I knew it was about passing, right? So I was like, well, I know how this goes, right? (laughs) So I kind of had an idea. There will be spoilers. If you don't want spoilers, that's fine. Go and read the book. (laughs) Just go and read the book. Yeah. And then come back at any time after you read this book. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. 
So we're going to talk, let's get into it. Uh, Shannon, what was your initial reaction to this book? Oh gosh. Um, this really hit home with me in so many ways as a light skinned African-American person. Mm -hmm. And um, as I talked about on our last episode about Harry and Meghan, I think I I loved that episode. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I loved that episode. It was so good. Um, I like, we, I have a family history um, of members of our family who have passed as white um, and it, it dealt with so many questions around identity that I have have, to, have had to wrestle with as someone who is very white presenting, um, yeah. but is also very proud and tied to my Black heritage. I, I remember at one point just kind of like sitting there, not like weeping because I didn't really cry, but just like with so much emotion and hurt and also like... I don't want to say a joy, but like a, a real happiness almost that like all of the things that I have internally struggled with were acknowledged and put on a page in a way that like so many ways in my life and in the media that I've um, been fed or the media I've consumed uh, has not been there. Even, you know, even in reading stories about uh, the black experience in general. Um, it's oftentimes written from the experience of people who are very visibly black. And those are really important stories. And they are, you know, things that we need to keep seeing more of. Um, you know, I think that um, we'll get into colorism a little bit, but like, I think that centering a light skinned experience of blackness is not um, the main story of what it means to be black in America. However, um, I think it is very important to also tell those stories because it gives us a fuller picture of race in America because race in America is not limited to people who are visibly brown or black and it is complicated and we underplay our experience of our ethnicity and our race when we don't tell all of the stories of people of different heritage um, and different ethnicities in America, in a place where whiteness is centered and celebrated and your proximity to whiteness determines your success. Okay. So yeah, well, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, there we are. Okay. <laughs> okay. Joel, go ahead. Right. So um, again, uh, being the non-Black person on this Black podcast, I, let no me tell you what, yeah, that is that is, I just love that so much. That'll be on my tombstone someday. <laughs> so, um, this is what I'll say. I had what I really struggled with in this book, and I hope that you ladies can speak to this a bit. Was what came off to me again as a non-black person. Um, I was really shocked by. I don't, I don't know if I want to call it a self-hatred or a survival, like that, that's what I was really caught between in this story, especially Mm -hmm. obviously with Stella, but also Mm -hmm. with the whole town itself. I was Mm -hmm. really fascinated that there was a town whose entire structure was based on, and pride came from being very fair-skinned Black people. Like I was, I was very confused by that and shocked by that and then as as the story goes on 
hands down this, the scene that will probably stick with me forever. And this happens a lot with me in books when I, there's just like that one scene is, is at the, the homeowners meeting when Stella, who again has been passing for years, stands up and they're they're deciding whether or not to let this black family in the neighborhood she lives in an extremely wealthy neighborhood in california at that point i think Mm -hmm. and she just stands up and just demands that this black family not be let in and says some really ugly things and i just i just remember thinking Mm -hmm. what what is happening is is this is this just her survival because she's afraid of being found out or is there, or is there also an element of that she she hates this part of herself? Mm-hmm. And I think that to me was probably the central heartache of the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when the darkest skinned person in the story doesn't hate that part of herself. And and neither does her mother, you know. Um, so I was it was, it was a lot. It's a very, it's, it's a very heavy book to wrestle with those themes. And again, um, to, to illustrate it in such a way of these two contrasting identical sisters was very powerful. Um, so that, that's kind of my thought is at what point is it when you don't, when you choose to pass as white, at what point is it I mean, would you ladies consider it a form? I don't, I don't like the phrase self-hatred, but like, is is there something they're rejecting? Like, that's what I'm trying to, Mm -hmm. that's what I wrestled with when I read it. So my, it's kind of when I first, when I read the book um, or listened because I was um, audiobook and I went back and it was like the very last book I read of 2021. I finished it on December 31st. Oh, wow. Well, that's funny. Isn't that funny? So, <laughs> like, you basically recommended it, and I was like, I will read that. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, that was one of the thoughts I had, and it wasn't so much as self hatred. It was like, this is a book about self preservation. And yes, and that's what and I was wrestling with the whole time. That, yeah. Like, the whole, but everyone's story is about self preservation. Mm. Every story we hear, right? the way Jude allows herself to be treated in high school, mm-hmm. that's self-preservation. Mm-hmm. The way that Reese has to live his life um, and mm-hmm. take on the role of protector first, that is self-preservation, right? Stella demanding that we not let the Black people in, that's self-preservation, like yeah. all of it. And then Desiree, right? Like, hello, her whole story is self-preservation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like taking her sister and fleeing and making a life for them and then only to be rejected and then enter this relationship that was abusive, but wasn't at first. And do you know what I mean? And going, and then her, um, her husband, boyfriend, God, what was his name? Was it Joe? Why do I want to say it was Joe? Um, it was something with an E. Earl? Oh, maybe that's it. <laughs> Way to give him a black name, Shannon. Way to give him a <laughs> <laughs> black man. <laughs> I don't remember right now, but with that, like you know what I mean. It's, it's yeah. early. It's early. Early. That's right. Early. It is early. It is early. <laughs> it's I wasn't early wrong. With an, e, with an e on both sides. Um, <laughs> so I think it's all it's all about self preservation, and I think that that is when you yeah when you like zoom out, that's what you see. And I don't think it's self hatred, right? I think 
I think it's people doing what they have to do. And I think it's about survival. And the thing about survival is like, if you're just surviving, you are not fully living and you are not given the room to thrive. Right. And I think the only person who chose to stop surviving is Jude. Is her name Jude? Jude, Jude. right? Yeah. She's the only person who chose, she cast off that self-preservation, right? And like, she chose to just stop surviving or to stop merely surviving. I think everyone, and I think, I think we came to a full circle later. Like I think with Desiree, with Curly, like it all worked out for them, but like, it wasn't until like, she was making this conscious choice to be who she was going to be and embrace her blackness, her dark skin, her everything. And I think that was what the full theme was. I think it was like self-preservation and just like, just surviving. Can I ask a question? And this is something I was excited. I don't know if excited is the right word, but interested to talk to you ladies about how do you, how do you think about passing? How do you think about it as from a historical, I did listen to Harry, your Harry Meghan episode. It was so fantastic because I, I watched the whole series of Harry and Meghan. Um, but I, I just want to know, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of opinions in the black community about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you understand it? Not just from a historical perspective, but how do you kind of wrestle with the concept of it? Okay. I know Shannon's got some actual, like Shannon's got actual, <laughs> actual, factual, actual things to say. Um, but before she um, goes in, because passing is like when a, and it's complicated and it's not right. Because when I was growing up and people were passing as white, it wasn't about hatred. It was about getting what you needed. It wasn't about like, I hate myself. It's like, nice. this is a way, like, this is a cheat code. It's like, you know, to get what I need, but also, passing is finite, right? There are things that will slip you up, you know, like you pass for as long as you can, because you'll still go back to your family, to your roots, to the thing, you know, I'm talking about where you're from and things like that. Like that happens in this story. It was, it was, it was not finite because like you have to make a choice. Like it's that part. It's like passing was like, Oh yeah. Like I can pass, I can get this job. I can get this. You know what I mean? Like all these things, but then you still know you've got your family here. Like it's a conscious like thing to do, but then there's Mm -hmm. passing where you're deciding, like, I'm going to live my life as a white person cast off all the black people. So I won't be found out because that's how you get, that's how you get found out. It's people you associate with and people that, you know, so that's the part of passing that is actually harmful. It's harmful to you. It's harmful to the community but the passing to get what you need. Like my mom had a best friend growing up and people thought she was white all the time. And she, she's my mom's best friend. And my mom would be like, Oh yeah, we're, we're going to get this. We would be out. And she's like, just stand in the car. Like she's going to get us what we need. Cause she yeah. would pass away. And then she would come back to the car and we would have what we need and we would move on with our day. Right. Like it's not, right. it's not the same category. Right. Right. Obviously there's kind of a different perspective in this case that, that she, she, in so many ways, she basically created a whole new person is kind of what yes. she did. Right. Yes. Um, and only got to say goodbye to that old person when her, when she went back, cause her mom was dying. Yeah. Right. And that was yeah. really the, the end of her story. What I found really interesting about that though, is 
how angry her daughter was yes at the situation because her daughter then felt like well then who am i like yes. you know and that and and so that's the ripple effect of it is what was so powerful to me yeah. so shannon you talk about your past and stuff yeah I you still want to talk about it because no, not that shannon passes she does not <laughs> it's not out of your passing i mean not on purpose um <laughs> so right like so there are many layers to this. Um, first, from a historical perspective, right? If you're talking 1800s, early 1900s, I completely understand why people would try to pass. It's not a time to be Black in America. I mean, like, is there ever a great time to be Black in America? Not really. Um, mm-hmm. We're sort of in the best one, like, <laughs> but even then, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> America does, does us dirty uh, a lot. So I get that. Right. And like you have stories of like the Healy brothers and the Catholic church who were the, actually the first ordained black priests, but no one knew that they were black. Right. But like one became a bishop, one became a president of Georgetown. And that only happened because nobody knew that they were black. Right. It was a way in which they could achieve to the level of which they were capable. Right. Or you have um, one of my favorite stories. There's a um, one of the early leaders of the NAACP, um, like in the 40s, 50s, right before the big push of the civil rights movement, was a very light skinned man who could pass as white. Um, and he lived his life. He was very openly black in the north. But when he went to the south, because he could pass as white, he went around um, documenting lynchings. And that's one of the reasons that we have all of this data and information about all these things that happened that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't used his white privilege, right? His white passing privilege and, and really use that to advance the, the racial justice in the world. Right. So like there's layers to all of this. I think along with that, there is, a way in which as a light-skinned person, we are able to hold our white brothers and sisters accountable in a way that darker-skinned people are not allowed to because of racism as it exists in our country. Um, And that's something that I think is really important, right? Um, Marcia and I talk about this all the time. I get to be at a lot of tables she doesn't simply because of the color of my skin. (laughs) Um, And it doesn't make me any less culturally Black. But because I'm at those tables, I can give voice to things for my community that other people are denied because they're not given a seat at the table. Uh, But at the same time, like passing in all ways, even when it used for good, uh, is traumatic. It's traumatic to the community and it's traumatic to the person, right? Because you know, there are times in my life where I have felt unsafe in someone's company because of things they've said or the way that they've treated darker skinned people. And I've had to, for self-preservation and physical protection, be attentive to how I was behaving, the things that I said in order to, to feel safe around people. And I don't like doing that, right? But it is, as Marcia said, a moment of self-preservation, right? Our instinct as human beings is to, is to first and foremost survive. But it's also traumatic because I'm not operating out of a place of wholeness or safety, right? I'm literally denying one part of myself because I'm trying to be safe. Which is and- what causes 
the trauma, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and right. So even, even when someone acknowledges their black mastery, like that's, that's a part of it on the other side of that, right. Like in the case of Stella, um, you talked interestingly, when you said how self-hatred, um, that sort of resonated with me. And it's not because I think that she did hate herself or even hate her upbringing because, you know, you see when she goes back um, at the end of the book, like there's sort of this comfort she finds in being. And she deeply loved her mother. Yes, exactly. And she loved her sister. Right. But do you see how but, she had to leave the things behind? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But like, yeah. but there is that loss. There's that loss of family, of self, of culture of heritage and also in some ways because of the racial caste system that exists in America until you really see the black pride movement all of those things coming to the fore in America in many cases we as people of color were taught to hate ourselves in order to gain proximity to whiteness right Mm -hmm. it's not that we it's not that we chose it but it was like, in order to get what we need, we have to fit into the system. Um, one of the things I talk about a lot when I do diversity work is, is uh, the brown paper bag test. And I'm not sure how many of our listeners are familiar with this or Jules, if you're familiar with this, but right there were nightclubs, yes. churches, lots of different institutions where upon, and they were black institutions, but where yes. upon entering, you would have a brown paper bag. They were from the black institutions? Yes. yes, it was black institutions. Yes. yes, they would have a brown paper bag from the grocery store. And if you were darker than the brown paper bag, you weren't allowed you in. Did not come in. And they did this because the lighter skin populations got more from their white neighbors and the whites. And so it was like, well, you're not fully white you're not okay, but you're more okay than the rest of them. And so they got more, right. That was an act of self-hatred within our community, but that, but it wasn't from internally caused by the community, right. It was an external cause Mm -hmm. of the system. We see that in many other marginalized communities. I think we see that oftentimes in the way our current political system pits minorities against each other, Mm -hmm. right? Like Hispanic people, if you want to be considered good Americans, right? Even though we don't like you because you're immigrants, you are, you're lighter skin. So if you just help us, right? Like, I hate saying this because like, nobody's actually saying this out loud, right? But it's the system. Right. Well, no, some right? people, like, do, some people do say that, but, uh... <laughs> but most people don't, yeah. right? Like if Hispanics are willing to join in anti-Blackness, then they'll get more. Or you see a lot of Black folks who join in nativist anti-immigration politics because- yeah the Hispanic people like we're here, we're, we belong here. You don't. Right. And it's pitting people against each other in order that the system of power is maintained. Yes. So can I ask, did you feel, cause this is my central question I had. In the- <laughs> Do I feel sympathy for Stella? Yes. Do I feel yeah, absolutely. empathy for absolutely. Stella? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Because I, I feel it. the worst for. I feel the worst for mm-hmm. Stella. Book. Mm-hmm. In the whole book, she's the one I feel sorriest for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I do because, gosh, man, here's the thing. I love being a black woman. I love yeah. being black. Be black. Mm-hmm. I love all. I love all the things that come with it. Even though there are challenges in America and all the world, and and every literally every culture has anti-blackness. Every culture. Right. Right. But 
the richness of what my culture is and who I am and what I get to have and the accountability I get from all my aunties and my, you know what I mean? And like all of it, you can't, you can't trade that self-awareness and that pride for anything. And Stella didn't get to experience that. But yeah, but she her, did. her town also didn't let them. I mean, I think that's what was so fascinating is the town created a culture that wouldn't let them celebrate that, you know? No, you're right. You're right. But their pride was in we are light skin. Yeah. Right. And that's also sad too. But here's the thing. Desiree came back with Jude, even though that was the case. Yeah. She had a whole blackity black, black, blackity black baby right? in that town. And she was able, like, she stayed there and she lived there and it was hard, but then she still got to be the full power of who she was Mm -hmm. as a black woman and live her life and do all the things that she set out to do, right. Without trading on her identity. And that is the thing, like Stella traded on like the fundamental part of who she is. She left her whole family behind to become a shell of herself, like quite literally a shell. Everything she was is based on her, like on the outside and her skin tone. Had she made another choice because she was identical to Desiree, but if Desiree was out in the world, no one one mistake Desiree for a black woman. As a matter of fact, early when he walked up to the porch and he saw Stella, he was like, there's a white woman at our house, identical to the woman he's with. Right. The woman he loves. Yeah. The one he loves. He was like, oh, there's who's that white woman at our house. Fascinating. Because everything about her, it was a choice. Like everything about her became quote unquote white. Um, the way she carries herself. I wrote something down here. I'm just going to read what I wrote down. <laughs> okay. uh, it says, Desiree didn't pass because she couldn't pass because she chose to live her life as a Black woman in the role of a Black woman and chose the burden of a Black woman. Mm. Stella chose whiteness and she stayed in proximity to it so that she could preserve it. And that's the thing about it. It was all about a choice. Stella became a mirror of what she saw of whiteness. And so she became white in her mannerisms and everything. Not that there's like black mannerisms on that, but, but there are, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. yeah. and the way that it was like, well, there and, was the, a, and there was a class element obviously to it yes. as well. Yes. Her husband was incredibly wealthy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of privileges that, that she, I mean, who wouldn't like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. In the mansion. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing too. And that's when the black family, she, here's the thing. She was 100% going to get found out when the black family came around and not because she was different, but so we have a term black, black women uses, we been new, <laughs> like we've been what is new. That? like, okay. We like we, and then Ben like B E N new, like it is not correct English, but mm-hmm. it means everything. Like, <laughs> like we already know. It's like, basically we already know. Oh. Even if, even if we didn't know before we already know. So it's like, we've been new. <laughs> like, you know, like that's a real thing like it's a whole that's thing, a thing. And, and it's just because like all the things that we've seen and all the experience that we had as black women and like watching the world when we encounter things like oh we know what that's all about right so like usually black women will be the first one to tell you i knew you was something <laughs> yeah the first but we're the first women people to know if someone if they're ethnic like ethnically ambiguous like there's some black in you there's some black in her like it's a thing like right. we've been new, like, and so she absolutely knew. She absolutely knew that was going to happen. She's like, I'm gonna like, there's gonna be, there's gonna be a tell. There's gonna be a tell culturally, like whatever that was. 
we don't know what it was because white people aren't going to pick up on the like the tell, but other black people will pick up on the tell. I would add to that. Um, I just recently watched a TikTok because I love TikTok. I'm obsessed. Like I would watch it for hours. <laughs> it's going to be like 85 videos a day. I, I know. I do. <laughs> yeah. But I try. TikTok is the new Twitter. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and I found this interesting because this person was, uh, it was a black creator, black man who was talking about the um, Cranberries, the song Zombie. You've heard that song, right? Yeah, and he talked great. about how, yes, how the way that the lead singer is singing is like a direct, um, has a direct tie to Irish keening, which is like the funereal wailing, right? Like that is in every culture, right? You go to Africa, you go to, right. um, you know, the Middle East, whatever, like everybody has uh, Scotland, et cetera. And um, he like, it was very interesting because he said when he posted this video, like lots of people from Ireland um, were like, we don't do that anymore. Like that's, it's like, like, like almost like savage or like uncultured or whatever. Um, And he was saying like, basically like the effect of white supremacy, right? In this case, the British coming in and saying, you have to be like us in that, like, even for European Americans, the myth of white supremacy demands that we give over our ethnic identity, right? You, you can't be French or German or Italian, right? Like I think the Italians and the Irish have managed to hold on to that. Like I, I would almost argue that Catholics in many ways have held on to it because of, and Jules, you talk about this on your podcast, right? Like that national parish that we like, we're like, we're going to have right? the, the Irish and the Slovaks. Which ironically right. was needed for our survival. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. Um, but right. Like, and that's um, one of the interesting things. If you want to, if you want to read a great book, listeners, um, a great book about Catholicism in general, but black Catholicism, um, especially um, in Chicago. Oh, there's some pickings. It's a great one. Yes. That one. But, um, <laughs> but if you read two, if you read, read only one, one book about, if you only read one, but if you're willing to read two, um, <laughs> it's a book called um, Authentically Black, Truly Catholic. I have Matthew. it on my shelf. Oh, so great. Um, Matthew J. Pressler, who is a white historian, sociologist and historian uh, who studies religion, uh, right. but he he talks about how like the great trade-off that Catholics made in order to be accepted in America was that they traded heritage and they're not, and right in some senses, their Catholicism for whiteness, right. That, that you see with this shift of like John F. Kennedy finally being elected and like Catholics are in like um, that the shift then is that is a movement away from ethnic identity to you know, sort of like American whiteness and the people who get left behind are especially the black Catholics. That is the truth. Uh, And you see that playing out in this, right? That Stella loses her food, right? Her music, her way of being and living. Mm -hmm. And you see it when she goes to visit um, when the, the black family moves into the subdivision and she goes to visit, she's like drawn to it because She's like, it's she, and she talks about how, you know, she hears the, the cadence of the way that they talk and it feels mm-hmm. like it feels home to her, right? but she, and she keeps going over and keeps going over and keeps being drawn to it and then realizes she has to make a decision, right? When her daughter, when the two daughters get into it and she uses the N word as a slur, 
against another black person, right? Um, it's like yeah. she she had a choice in that moment to embrace, yes. and she decided she couldn't give up the the life she had. Constructed. That was so hard. That was yes. that. Oh, I, and that's that ripple I, effects, right? Because that was on her daughter now. You yes. know? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing where that's the part where I really I went was indifferent to Stella's story to feeling awful for her. Like that's when that was the point where she became sympathetic. And I know that sounds weird because oh my gosh, like that was that was it. Like there was no turning back. She lost everything in that moment. Like that was that point where I was like, oh my God, right? She lost everything in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it made me, I just felt so sad mm-hmm. for her. Yeah, I, I, that sounds so I had the exact opposite. Yeah. Cause I, and I, <laughs> I love talking well, to well, you. Yeah, great. I know what she lost. Like yeah. we know what she lost. Where to me, it's like, now you're affecting the people you love. This is not just about you anymore. Like, I'm, I'm really grateful to talk to you ladies about this because I did not have sympathy. I think in the way that I probably should have for Stella, I kept feeling like these choices are now if having like, I keep saying this ripple effect, but like it has now affected your daughter in such a way that she is hurt, confused and flat out rejecting her mother, you know, like mm-hmm. that's kind of the links that Stella went to for this self-preservation. I'm happy talking. I, I'm always grateful when someone helps me to feel more empathy, like sympathy for someone, because for whatever reason, it was hard for me to have that for Stella, because I saw the pain that she caused in order to preserve this, I don't, I don't know, life, this life yeah. that she created. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that's because, like I said, because I know what she lost. Mm-hmm. I know what that choice cost her. And I, I know I, I, st- we, I joke about this all the time and well, I don't joke about it, but like I share this sometimes too, that I joke, I have friends that I talk to and I was like, I could have mm-hmm. been Candace Owens. Like, it's a real thing. I was on my way to be like, just like the same thing. Right. I was very much like bootstraps, what my thoughts were, because a lot of it has to do with my proximity to whiteness. and what I was getting an understanding in the ways I was accepted and what was I willing to give up for like what I thought was success or survival and things like that. But like, it took me a long time. Like it took basically Travion Martin, like I talked about in the book for me to stop code switching, Mm -hmm. right. For Travion Martin to get killed for me to recognize that and cause a shift. Right. But like, I had some anti-blackness I had to wrestle with in the choices that I was making and the way that I was living my life, the way that I saw myself or the people whose approval I sought. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think me reading that book, reading it and realizing it, like I never got as far as so, I mean, I would never, I would never pass for white, but like at all, but you can be sufficient enough in white spaces where you can forget, like, you know, if you were willing to forget, or like black out like the way people see other black people and be like the good negro and if you're willing to do that and sac- what are you willing to sacrifice for it you can be that mm-hmm. i never got as far as like calling another black person a slur you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. i never got as far as that but yeah. do you know what i'm talking about like it's just mm-hmm. and i see where you are right like 
you're a person who's never had to deal with that proximity, right? You're a person who loves justice and the Mm. truth and being honorable and, Mm. you know what I mean? And um, recognizing other people's dignity. But for a lot of us who are not white, that it's been a journey to come to the point of moving from self-preservation to self-acceptance. And Mm -hmm. I think as I was reading this book, like, and it's so funny because as I'm processing this and talking to you with this, I go, I'm recognizing how much I sympathize with Stella because, do you know what I mean? Like, because of that, because of like who I was and who I almost became. And I think that we don't think about that. Like, you know what I mean? You never, you never had to think about that. Nope, I haven't. Nope. And ironically, white people are, white people are silly. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dark, I'm a dark skinned white person. And all my white friends wanted to be dark skinned. Like, you know, like <laughs> we, we have this like flip oh, mentality. Oh, where all my white friends Italian. That's a whole different thing we could unpack. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to, to add to this conversation because I think I had interestingly, like I had both reactions not to like be playing both sides. That's not it. Right. Like I had a lot of empathy and understanding, but also, right, because I am a light-skinned person who has that choice, right, like I really do in my life, I had empathy for that the, the way in which she lost herself, but I also, I was very angry at the choice that she made because Right. Like, because in my own life, I have made a different choice. I have chosen not to, um, like, live in that space of, of proximity to whiteness. And I was very angry, especially because she was a person who knew how much that word would hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, she knew even more of, of, like, what racism was. And to inflict yeah. that on another person through choice, even with all of the things that we've talked about. It was, it was, I was so livid. And I mean, like what great writing, right? That like I yes. have all these emotions, right? Um, like that's the, that's the beauty of literature. And the thing that also struck me, you know, we can kind of like talk a little bit about colorism, having to reckon as a light-skinned Black person with the history of how light-skinned Black people have treated dark-skinned Black people throughout mm-hmm. America you can see how her upbringing in a town where they celebrate their lightness and where they keep dark black people out of the gene pool right quote unquote right you don't marry somebody who's mm-hmm. dark that boy can't come around right when early was at the at the nearby farm he can't come around he can't be here you gotta stay away mm-hmm. from him that absorbed racism and colorism also contributed to a point where she could live in that space right where she could make that decision because in some ways she had been taught that she was better because she was light-skinned and so right like the the layers of oppression build on each other over and over over and over again so you say that but that's why when um trevor noah signed off on the daily show like Mm -hmm. his parting words oh yes Mm -hmm. much um jules i don't know if you saw Trevor Noah. Um, anything that's pro- happened in the last four months. I <laughs> that's right. We should have a whole baby. <laughs> but no, tell me more. Tell me more. Um, so Trevor Noah, he left The Daily Show. And yes, he's no I longer did the hear host. I heard that. Um, and on his sign-off, it was really, really powerful. And he was like, I learned that 
if you want to know anything about the world or I can't really exactly um, say that. It needs to be written down and put on the plaque, but um, it's talk to black women, like learn from black women because we get the brunt of it all, right? Like they're the ones who understand that, well, we'll, we'll clean it up. If you mess around, you find out. And it's, it's black women. The world can benefit from our perspective always like, and not that we're like, we're the best perspective ever, but you're missing out on a lot, right? Because we understand, we understand that, we understand what oppression is. Even if you are passing, Stella understands oppression. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean. Like every black woman in this book Mm. understood that like Kennedy is not a black woman. Culturally, she's not black, right? She has, and I know that sounds awful to say but but she's not like she's not a black she doesn't she was raised there's no connection in one cultural context right like yeah. she yeah, was raised. she's mm-hmm. she does not have that she was not raised with that culture of a black woman so but all every black woman in this book understands oppression whether or not like with stella like she she knew what she had to do to get them out of there because she knew what she could do to keep them there you know what i mean or to make them feel welcome or you know what i mean like and I think that's, I think that's really important to acknowledge that at her core, she was still a Black woman, whether or not she allowed the world to see it. Let's move on to the part of our uh, episode where we're going to get Jules's recommendations to basically ensure her next visit to... <laughs> So do you want to start? Joel? Okay. Yeah. I have yeah. categories. I okay. figured if I put things in categories, you wouldn't be too mad if I kept talking, but here we go. So, okay. <laughs> so there's, we'll, we'll say television and film song books. Okay. Television and film. My husband and I, we do this fun thing where we only get Netflix one month out of the year. We get my Netflix in December we go crazy binge hard heavy on all things. He gets all his creepy stranger things fixed. I get my great British baking show fixed and we're good to go. So there were two things I discovered. One, since it was December, the Christmas movies. And this I mentioned this earlier to you ladies. There's a lot of Christmas movies on Netflix. A good amount of them are subpar to not so great. But there was one that I just loved. It was called, I think it was called A Castle for Christmas with Brooke Shields. Did you all see this? Yeah. Fantastic. Like everything a Christmas movie should be. And I was so grateful for it. And then the other thing I watched on Netflix for the first time, and I have a hard time giving a solid recommendation for it because there's this one character who's just kind of potty mouth on her. And I am not a fan of raunchy, vulgar talk. But setting that aside, there was a show that both my husband and I liked so much. We watched it together. It was called Dairy Girls. Have you all? What, Marcia, you're going crazy. Love it. Love it. Love it. Legit. One of my recommendations. I haven't been, I haven't finished this season, but I was like, this season is anyway. Yes, oh it's my gosh. I love Dairy Girls. I love Dairy Girls. I love coming of age stories. I love teenager stories. I still think Michelle is un Michelle's the best, but she's the best though. She's, she's hilarious. So filthy. <laughs> she is. 
but that's but that's that's all that's the whole part of it like they're all it's basically their sex in the city like they're yes, all archetypes of those and, characters but there's not anything she's samantha she's oh my gosh that's that's samantha. a good point that's a perspective i will have to <laughs> i will have to think on and i think michelle redeems herself in more than enough ways that justifies her presence in the story because she's just delightful and her loyalty is unmatched she's amazing but this show dairy girls was hands down one of the best you mentioned in the last podcast ted lasso we are huge ted lasso fans in our house and i feel like it's the best show i've seen since ted lasso i mean that's really how it's felt so that's the category of television film (laughs) next up this is just like a nostalgic i'm going through a big nostalgic phase thinking about when I was a wee babe, little girl. And um, so I have been on a huge, this is going to be really kind of random. I've been on a huge CC Winans kick for like probably two months. Believe for it came out last year and was, and we listen, we love listening to like Christian radio in the car and believe whenever believe for it came on, I would like visibly weep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I listened to a lot of CC Winans in college. She was such a huge part of my life. I don't know how she's like scientifically possible. She looks and sounds exactly the same as she did 30 years ago. I love her so much. At the end of my life, I will always remember like the impact that her, she had on me. Finally, books. And this is where the pressure is like really on. I have a series that is certainly not as culturally insightful, but is really, it has been delightful to read. It is called The Thursday Murder Club. Shannon, you're freaking out. Have you read The Thursday Murder Club series? So yeah, so this is actually, I love a mystery, love a cozy mystery. This is one that I got my husband to read. Me too! Yes, and he's like, I love this. So there we are. Two, my husband's read them all, I've read them all. And they're British too. I mean, you can't get much better (laughs) than that. Unbelievably delightful about these octogenarians who solve murders in their little retirement community. (laughs) It's just so, so funny. Those are my recommendations. I'm really worried they're not going to live up to. (laughs) Well, the fact that I grew up on CC Winans, so I'm with you on that. And Dairy that. Girls, I had to, I like was glad that you said Dairy Girls because I had four and now I only have three. So that's good. <laughs> and Shannon's also read Thursday Murder Club. Is it Thursday Night Murder Club? I don't know what it's called. Thursday Murder Club. Just, just, it's, they're yeah. just great. So, yes, I have three. So the first one, it's still happening right now. It's National Treasure edge of history tv series on disney plus you guys it is so good it's a weekly show it drops every wednesday um and i think there's like there's a significant amount of episodes left because usually with disney plus shows there's like six or eight you know and then the season's over i think it might be like 10 or i think it might be 10 episodes i'm not sure but um it's very good so there's that the second one is a historical fiction and i can't remember if i recommended it on the show or not I can't remember, but it's called The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna. And like, <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's so good. When, after I finished reading it, I had to just stop reading heavy things. Like I had to read like cheesy romance novels for like 
three, the next three books, because it stuck with me how sad it was. And I remember I texted my friend, I go, I'm mad at you. You made me feel bad for white people, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then the third thing I want to recommend is if you have Paramount Plus, (laughs) you can watch it. Or maybe you can go online and watch on YouTube some of the clips. But uh, the Kennedy Center Honors from 2022. But the Kennedy Center Honors, like this year, they had a really good class this year. Like they had a really good class. So this year it was Amy Grant, U2, George Clooney, Gladys Knight, um, and then um, Tanya Leone, who is a choreographer. I like saying the Amy Grant tribute all the way through. I, here's the thing, guys. I love Amy Grant. Me too. Like, I love Amy Grant. So I couldn't wait to see. I was like, who is going to sing for Amy Grant? And it did not disappoint. It was just so diverse, musically diverse. So, okay, Shannon. <laughs> I also have three things. You've got a lot this week. Like, sometimes I feel like we're scraping the barrel. We're like... I don't know, yeah. like, take care of yourself. Take a nap. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, always do that. I recommend <laughs> naps. <right? laughs> We've done it before. We're like, take a nap. I That's recommend weeping bitterly. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, I also have three things. I'm going to keep it short. Number one, cats. I love cats. I got a big fluffy cat. Get, get a cat. Uh, unless you're allergic, then get another pet that makes you happy. Second, Nashville hot chicken. It's delicious. Oh, yeah. It is delicious. And then the third thing is a book. I've been listening to on an audiobook, which I enjoy. Um, I've been reading some uh, romance novels by Jean Meltzer, who's a Jewish author. So they're Jewish romance novels. They're clean. Like, they're very very fun, very funny. Um, You get a lot of culture and history. Okay. the first one was called the matzo ball about two oh, people who fall in love. In my queue. That's in I might have I'm immediately putting already. it in my queue. This I, looks I, I adorable. This already, so I apologize for those who feel like this is a repeat. And I'm re- I'm reading a, her second one now, which is called Mr. Perfect on Paper, which is about matchmakers and a woman who takes the matchmaking wisdom of her mom and grandmother and makes what they call J-Mate, which is like a fictional version of Uh, (laughs) J-Date. And and her journey to love. And they're just so funny. Uh, Her name is Jean Meltzer, M-E-L-T-Z-E-R. Thank you all for listening to us. Thank you for being a part of this conversation. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at PSVP Podcast. You can follow me, Marcia, at Stylish Lucia. You can follow Shannon at Team Quarter Black. You can follow Jules's archive of Instagram. <laughs> Before she had two babies. So. <laughs> yes. Don't do it anymore, ladies. That was good. Uh, I like that. It's at Mystery Through Manners. Right? Isn't it mystery? Mystery Manners Podcast. Mystery Manners Podcast. Yeah. That's right. It's uh, at Mystery Manners Podcast. Um, but you, you can read our all of our old, po- old posts. It's fine. There's still right. some things to say. Listen to, <laughs> listen to her podcast archive. It's also still listen great. To <laughs> listen to Ruah Storytellers, which yeah. brought us all together. Mm-hmm. Like, do all of it. 
all the, you can find Jill with all those things. <laughs> you can email us at plastersinvasedblack at gmail.com. Please rate us five points, five or five stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to review on Apple Podcasts so we can get in front of more people who might love us, just like you do. <laughs> you can also support our work by shopping our merchandise at pscdpodcast.myspreadshop.com or donating to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash podcast, where you get extended cuts of our episodes. Oh, extended. So extended. <laughs> it's a good time. I'm just saying. It's always fun. <laughs> Thanks as always to Jazar for Season Mars, our theme song that will not be vanishing anytime soon. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon, as always, for being my co-host. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jules, for joining us once again and sharing your wisdom laughter with us. <laughs> as always. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us this season. We have one more episode to go, and we'll talk to you then. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.